Well, good morning, brothers and sisters, and I want to welcome our friends who's listening to us all over the world, especially in America, and uh, we've got a few followers in the United Kingdom as well. May the Lord bless you and may He keep you, and my prayer is that this word today will bless you, and I pray for the anointing of the Lord over the word. Uh, in Australia, here in Melbourne, we are locked down again for the fourth time now. And it is strange to preach in an empty hall without faces, but that's not going to deter us from bringing out God's Word. The Bible says that His Word will not go out and return back void, but it will accomplish everything that it's been purposed for. And that is what I want to preach about today as well. So uh, uh, I want to continue today. We started a few weeks ago uh, in our journey in the book of Revelation. And we're going through verse by verse. Now, uh, I'm not going to preach through the whole book of Revelation this time, and maybe I may, if the Lord willing. But the aim is to come to the seven churches from chapter 2 and chapter 3, and then go into chapter 4 and show you exactly what happens to the church and what the times we are living in. Now, getting to the seven churches, we find that we've got to go through chapter 1. We don't just want to parachute into chapter 2 and 3 and have no foundation. Hence, over the last few weeks, uh, I've been laying a foundation. And this foundation is for you to understand that once we get to the churches, what Jesus' message and what God's message is for the church a few weeks ago, I showed our church congregation, I showed you brothers and sisters that the books, you know, the Gospels were written under the Old Covenant, although it's transitional books into the New Covenant. And now we find ourselves in the church age. When Jesus walked with His disciples upon the face of the earth, there in the Gospels, and He spoke to them in Matthew chapter 13, he gave them seven kingdom parables. Now, you will find fascinating how those parables compare to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. But again, like I say, we had to get there through chapter 1. Now, as you know me, uh, I, I'm not going to put a timeline on that because as I prepare and as I read and as I pray over the Word, there is just new things that's coming out. And it's not something new that's never been there. It's new revelations and there's new messages that I believe the Lord wants to, wants to bless you with. It is a place in Greece. Uh, but before we get there, let me just remind you of a verse that we read last week and the week before. Revelation chapter 1 verse 8. And this is a unifying thought, unifying thought right through the Bible, where Jesus himself says the following words. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Those are two letters in the Greek alphabet. The first letter of the alphabet and the last letter of the alphabet. He says the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come the Almighty. Now, allow me to, for a few moments, to just stand on those words again, because it's such a fascinating sentence that Jesus Himself gave to John to give to us. The Alpha and the Omega. And I've explained last week, but I want to just touch on it again, that if you look at an, an alphabet, the first letter and the last letter, within the alphabet, all these letters come together to form words, and words form sentences, and sentences forms paragraphs, and paragraphs forms books. And all of those things, and, and, and it's not only one sentence, you can literally write so many books just with the, the alphabet. And what Jesus is saying here is fascinating. Because he tells us that he's the beginning of the alphabet and he's the end. And within that whole spectrum, everything encompasses Jesus. Now you say, why are you continuing on about this preacher? For this fact. 
that you are busy while you're still alive to, to live your life story. And if he's the beginning and the end, that means that he's the beginning and the end of everything in the universe. He, he created the universe and he will also be the one who dissolved the universe. He created everything that you see and he has got within him the power to dissolve that. My friend, listen to me. Listen to me. Your life, the Bible says in Psalm 139 that he knew that you were formed in the inward parts of your mother's womb. So, for you, when you were born, that's the Alpha. That's the beginning. And when you were laid down on this earth, your head down for the final time, if you're not going to be raptured, that will be the Omega. And Jesus, and I take comfort out of this, He says the Alpha and the Omega in my life, in your life, is everything. I also say that this phrase that Jesus uses, this title which he picks for himself here, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, he is, was, and is to come. The Bible says he's yesterday, today, and forever the same. This is the platform where the Old Testament comes together with the New Testament and they meet each other and that shows us the substance which is Jesus Christ. He fulfilled everything, everything of the Old Covenant of the Old Testament. And also, he is the whole volume of the book. He's the volume of this book. And he's the volume of history. And that is fascinating. Now again, there's so many reasons why I mention this. is because if we look at the world today and we look what's going on in the world, there's so many people who proclaim to be wise, but the Bible says they are fools. There are so many people who think they know what's going on, but they don't. They need to come to the Alpha and the Omega, and He will know everything. So with that, let's then go into Revelation chapter 1 verse 9. And I'm going to just going to finish reading now the first chapter, but then we're going to come back, and we're going to spend some time in verse 9 to verse 11. And you will find, my friend, you know, I'm going to preach now for maybe in half an hour just on those verses, and there's so much in it that we can't just neglect and look over it. So let me read, first of all, to you the Word of God. Revelation 1.9 I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Um, what you see, write a book in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. Now, I want you to look at the map now, because <laughs> there is so many ways that messages can flow out of this. It starts off with Ephesus, that's down on the map, and then it goes up to Smyrna, and then to Pergamos, Tythyra, Sardis, it goes to Philadelphia, comes back to Laodicea, and then, you know, obviously this person would have gone back to Ephesus, who went around and delivered these letters to those churches. Now there's some who believe that we are, we went through the stages of the churches. So we were in Ephesus, then went to Smyrna, then went to Pergamum, then to Thyatira, then to Sardis. There's some who believe that a, a Christian, when he gets born again, that he goes through these stages. Uh, and then he needs to be careful of Laodicea. I don't necessarily believe that, but you know, if you believe that, there's nothing wrong with believing that. Each one of these churches has got a peculiar way that Jesus is going to speak to them, and I'll highlight them once we get to the churches. But in verse 12 we read now, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And this is fascinating to me, brothers and sisters. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. 
And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. Highlight that. One like the Son of Man. That's His earthly title. Clothed with a garment down to His feet and girded about His chest with a golden band. And His head and hair were white like wool and white as snow. And His eyes like flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass as refined in a furnace. His voice as the sound of many waters. He had in His right hand seven stars and out of His mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And His countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. I'm not going to preach through this today, these verses, but we will get there. <clears throat> but just think for yourself, the last time that John saw him was when he, when he went up on the clouds and he didn't see him like this. He didn't describe him like this. And let me just say, my brother and sister, dear friend, whoever you are, when you're going to die, the moment you open up your eyes in eternity, you will be looking into the eyes of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, it's fiery eyes. It's fiery eyes. You will get your moment and opportunity to see Him as He is. This is a fascinating description of Jesus. John saw Him and He describes Him to us how we are going to see Him. And that should, that should either excite you or it will terrify you if sin is still living within your heart. We continue in verse 17, and when I saw him, what happened? When I saw him, John says, oh, there is so many people today who is so bold and proud, fire, fire, and everything, and they just want to call with boldness. No, no. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me. That's the hand of authority. That's the hand of power. He laid his right hand on me saying to me, Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. That's the proof out of Jesus' own mouth that he was risen from the grave. And I have the keys of Hades and death. We'll come to that fascinating teaching. Write these things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things that will take place after this. And we will come to that verse. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. What a fascinating piece of scripture. I'm excited. We have the opportunity, the privilege to hear, to see Jesus Christ as He is. No wonder the Bible, no wonder when Paul started writing, or, or John started writing, he said, the one who read these words and who hear these words will be blessed. And, and, and I hope, listen to me, listen to me, friend, brother, sister, if, if you can't get excited about what I've just read there, if that's not a blessing to you, I honestly, honestly pray and ask you to go on your knees and ask God to search your heart. That's a fascinating piece of scripture. And, and again, I quote to you the scripture verse which says that I hope, that I don't hope, I know the Bible says this, that his word will not go out and return back void, but it will accomplish every single thing that it's been purposed for. So I want to talk to you. And, and like I said, the theme today is Patmos. That little island, it is a destination. It is a place. If you look on your map, you can find it just off the mainland of Greece. In, in amongst, uh, you know, uh, there's a literally of islands there, and, and one of those islands is the Isle of Patmos. 
And when I prepared, and I want to just read through this and get to the churches, but it's as if the Spirit of God just halted me back because I believe there is a message here of encouragement for you from this little island, from this little place that is called Patmos. Now, Patmos in Greek means my killing. My killing. Now, how can, you, you can ask straight away, how can a message from a place which, which means my killing give me some encouragement? You will see soon. You see, the Bible is full of names. Uh, it's full of place names and it's full of people's names. And, and I believe the Holy Spirit writes it in there that every single name and place has got a meaning. And not only has it got a meaning, but it's got a scriptural or, or a spiritual uh, message for us. So let's look at Patmos. My question to you is, what does Patmos represent? We said it already now that it means my killing in the Greek words. Well, the Romans used Patmos, that little island, to send their prisoners to. Their outcasts. They sent them to that little island. And it was not a luxurious island. If you think about the Greek islands, I know some of you who might have visited there, you might, I was very close to that, but, uh, you know, close to, to, to these places. I went as far as Rome. But, uh, if you go to these places in Greek and you see that, you say, Oh, Magnifico! It would be a beautiful place to have a holiday. And a lot of people go there for holiday. But let me tell you that Patmos is not that destination back then where you wanted to go for a holiday. No, this was a deserted island which they used, the Romans started using it to put the unwanted in society there. Not because they just unwanted, but it's the, uh, the thieves, the robbers, the ones who they wanted to uh, uh, just abolish and get rid of. This is where they sent these people to. Now the earth father, the early church fathers, Iranius and Eusebius and Jerome, they wrote that John was sent to Patmos by the emperor Domitian. He, he started a, a tribulation. He started to persecute the Christians. And it was rife in those days that they persecuted the Christians. And at this particular time, because John was the pastor of of Ephesus, at the church in Ephesus, and he was preaching the word of God, and he lived the testimony of Jesus Christ, he was a problem for the Roman Empire. He was a problem not only for the Roman Empire, but for his own people, the Jews. And, and there's no evidence of this, but I can believe that constantly the Jews, the Jews wanted the Romans to get rid of the Christians like they did Jesus. And there was a persecution that broke out against the Christians, which was terrible. So they sent John to this island. Now, the island in itself had no trees on it. There's no streams, there's no rivers. And it was a place where there were marble main, mines. And, and the prisoners had to go and work in the heat, in the sweat, in, there's no, you know, sitting under a tree or shade or anything, but they had to go into these marble mines and they had to work every single day in these mines to, to chisel and to cut out the marble with their hands. They didn't have the implements we have today. So it was really hard work and John by now was an old man and he was sent to this place. Now, the first thing that will come up in a lot of people's minds is, but wait a minute, you know, why would God allow this? Because this is an, this is an patriarch of the Christian faith. This is a, a, an apostle. Jesus, this is one of your disciples. And by the way, he was the only one at the cross when the others ran away. You say, where's the proof of that? Well, when Jesus looked down from the cross, he looked to John, he says, behold your mother. In other words, he, he gave John the responsibility to look after his mother Mary. Here is this man, here is this patriarch, God, God, how can you allow this man to be sent to an island as a prisoner who, who did nothing wrong? 
He, he's been persecuted for doing nothing wrong. And, and many times, brother and sister, friend, you might feel like that. You might feel like, like that, you know, things happen in your life and you did not deserve that. And that brings me to the question, which this is what I believe the Holy Spirit laid upon my heart. Now, I, I preach this sermon as a, uh, as an encouragement for you. What is Patmos for you? What is your Patmos? Where is your Patmos today? Is it a place? It, it could be a place that you don't want to be. It could be a physical place or it could be a mental state that you're in. It could be, or it could represent that difficulties in your life, that, that troubles in your life that keeps on coming on and on and on. And you yourself can ask the question and say, Lord, why am I sitting in this situation? Why am I in my own little island and surrounded by problems and I feel so isolated and I feel so pitiful? This is what you can ask. And so many people ask that. So many Christians ask that. Why happened to me? I, Lord, I'm one of your children. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. I come. I pray. I come to church, I serve you, I read the Bible, but still I find myself on the Isle of Patmos. Like I say, this is a destination. It's a place where you are. And we want to find out about this. And we're going to see now that, that there is reasons behind every single thing. God, just not let everything happen. Everything in your life, if you're a child of God, everything He knows about, everything that happens in your life, He gives the permission for that to happen. Uh, we remember that when, uh, when the angels present themselves to God there in the book of Job, that uh, Lucifer himself came and he presented himself before God. And uh, the Lord said to him, where were you? And he said, I went to and fro all over the world. What did he do? He, he looked for children of God. He looked for the ones who served God to do what? To destroy them. Jesus said to Peter, Satan asked for you to sift you. The Bible says he's like a roaring lion to destroy you. And, and when he came to him, God says, did, did you see my, did you see my servant Job? And Satan said, yes, I've already looked into his life. I've, but I can't touch him. Marvelous. He can't touch him. He says, because you have hedged him in. You are protecting him. I can't get my hands on him. And God allowed this to happen, and He said, you can't take His life. This tells me that He, everything that happens to the child of God, needs to have the permission of God. And, and you say, where are you going with this preacher? Well, you are talking about your Patmos. We're talking about John sitting on an island. He could have been preaching in, in, in Ephesus. He could have been sleeping on his beautiful bed. Now he's in a cave. He's in a cave there on an island which is deserted and a tough place to be. But you see, one of the most beautiful things happened on this island. One of the most beautiful things happened in his time of despair. And that's the encouragement you need to take. Let's follow this. And I pray God through the Holy Spirit that if you are sitting there and you hear my voice right now and you find yourself in a place like this, my friend, listen to me today. God knows about it and give Him the honor and the glory that become to Him. We see in verse 12, and this is fascinating to me, I turned and see the voice which spoke behind me on this deserted place. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. Now, I said to you before purposely, this is a destination. It is an island off the mainland. If you want to get to the island, there's no airplanes in this day. You had to get on a, on, a, on a small boat and you had to fight the sea to go to the island. They put him there to punish him. But yet, when he was there, who did he find there? 
He felt the Son of Man. Hallelujah. The Son of Man appeared to him. And I say again, the Son of Man is the title which Jesus himself used more than any other title when he walked himself on this earth. What does the Son of Man mean? It means it is the only one that could reach out from earth to heaven and to touch God on our behalf. Job cried out in the book of Job. He says, who can I go to that can reach God on my behalf no one but he came the son of man and here in the predicament of john's life when he sits on this island as an old man in a place where he didn't want to be freely what happens the son of man came to him and this is what you need to take courage my friend he is omnipresent he's there when it's going well with you and he's there when it's your difficult time as well there is no boundaries that can stop jesus christ there is no boundary that can stop the holy spirit of god there is no boundary that can stop god Sila, that means think about that. He, whether he was on the mainland at Ephesus, or whether he's on this uh, prison island, he is there. Let me prove this to you. Psalm 139 verse 7. He says, the psalmist writes, he says, Where can I go from your spirit? Question mark. Where can I go? You need to listen attentively now, brother, sister, friend. Where can I flee from your presence? Where can we go from the presence of God? Asked the psalmist. And then he fills in the gaps. He says, if I ascend into heaven, I get into a jet plane. They didn't have planes over there, okay? I think if they could see in future, this makes more sense to us than them. But somehow, the psalmist says, if I get wings and I could go to the highest point in heaven... You know, where the atmosphere maybe stop. He says that if I sent into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. And again, you know, if they could only see the mine shafts that we are drilling down now. I mean, people, we are going down 11 kilometers down into the earth now. They didn't go so deep then. You see, this is, if they could see the mines now, that will just fill the, fill the gaps in. But he says, even if I go down so deep into the ground, he's there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. I like this. Like this, uh, 12. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Why don't you just go ahead and underline that last part in your Bible? Or learn it off by heart. Let me read it to you again. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. They are the same to God. We turn all the lights off and we struggle. Darkness came upon the earth. Not for God. Not for God. Listen how Jeremiah puts it, the other prophet. He says, Jeremiah 16, 17, for my eyes are on, my eyes are on all their ways. This is what God says to the, to the prophet. My eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from my face nor is the iniquity hidden from my eyes. Now, this is where it becomes a really, really interesting and, and, and a serious, serious thought. This is where you really intentively need to start listening now. Oh, it's fantastic to know the con confidence and, and the comfort, to know that even if I'm on an Isle of Patmos or in my darkest hour, in my biggest problems, it's good to know that God's there to help me. But, Listen, he says, my eyes are on all their ways. God can see all your ways, my friend. They are not hidden from him. I've read it to you in Psalm. Nor is there iniquity hidden from thee. That iniquity means it's your evil ways. It's your sin. Hebrews writes it in the New Testament this way. He says, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. We must give an account. And I can, 
you know, I can sidetrack and go on a rabbit trail now and preach about that. That's a different message. But we have to give an account of what we do on this earth and what we do, what we say, what we buy, whatever we do. We have to give an account. The child of God, the saved one, plus the sinner needs to give an account of the iniquity. Nobody will miss the righteous judge. We saw him. We saw him like John saw him. He had eyes of fire. Fire is representing judgment and refining. Can you see there's so much? So much. Brother and sister, dear friend, I struggle to put just a few verses in here. I can keep on talking. It's not trying to impress you that I can keep on talking. It's because the Bible is so deep and so rich. But let's continue on. Now, John identify now with Christians, with you and me. We've identified now Patmos, and I ask you the question, what is Patmos for you? What is your Patmos? And I gave you the encouragement that Jesus is also in your Patmos. But now I want to take you a step back and show you how John, this old pastor, he's in his 90s now, and he identifies, he gives you more encouragement now, if you but only listen. I know there's a lot of people who are struggling through this lockdown in Melbourne, and all over the world there's other parts where people actually die. There's other parts where we forget about the lockdown. There's parts where Christians are persecuted and they die. They are killed for their faith. In the Western world, we are so cotton wool, you know, uh, protected. But that will change and it is changing soon. In Revelation 1.9, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to look at this now. He calls himself our brother. And also a companion. A brother is somebody close to you. It's somebody who you, who you have fellowship with. Uh, John writes this in the letters of John. 1 John and 2 John. He writes about the fellowship of the saints. He, now if you are, if you are a child of God, if you are born again, it doesn't matter where you're born, what nationality you are, what color your skin are, it doesn't matter. If you are born again, you are baptized into the body of Christ, you are now my brother, my brother and my, and my sister. And he says here, both your brother, he says, I'm not only brother, but I'm also a companion. In other words, I'm going through every single thing that you're going through because I'm walking with you, I'm walking like you. I feel what you feel. I see what you see. I hear what you hear. And the pain that pains you pains me also. This is exactly the same. That his master and my Lord, Jesus Christ, went through for us. But he uses these words, brother and companion. Now he's going to mention three things that he's brother and companion in with. First of all, in the tribulation. Now, let me just say, brother and sister, there's people who believe that we've already moved into the wrath of God. You know, we, we, we you know, it, it is already part of the seven years that's happening. That's, that's just not true. Okay. These people need to go and study their Bibles again. Tribulation is not coming. Tribulation is already here for the Christians. It started back in the day already. Stephen was martyred for, for following Jesus Christ. Paul was Saul. He persecuted the people of the way. They, they were persecuted. Uh, that was for them a tribulation. Um, the Caesars, the emperors. Herod was terrible to the Christians. The tribulation that they went through, the difficult times that they went through, I mean, some of them were, were sewn into animal skins and, and placed along Rome and lit up to be lamps at night. It's terrible. That never stopped. Never stopped. It's still continuing even today. You go to China, you go all over the world. The people are, are, are killed for believing. They are physically killed for proclaiming to be children of God. Then you get social persecution and that we're going through. And that social persecution is what we're going through in the Western world. And it's not even close to the persecution that the, the, the persecuted church is going through. You know, your friends is leaving you because you decided to follow Christ. Oh, that is so terrible, isn't it? Oh, it's so terrible. Um, 
And a lot of things happen to you because you follow Christ. But here he says, I'm your brother and your companion in the tribulation. And, and again, I say the Christian church was facing severe persecution. They were socially, politically, and econ- uh, financially persecuted. They couldn't do anything. And like I say, some were killed for their faith. It's no wonder. No wonder because uh, Jesus said himself in John 16, 32, those famous passages the day before he went to the cross, his final message to his disciples, he said these words in John 16, 32, Indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, has now come. You see, this is what I say. The persecution is already here. We're not waiting for the persecution to happen. No, no, the persecution is already here. We are waiting for the wrath of God to come down and punish the world. That's going to happen after the rapture. And we will cover that once we get there. But persecution is already here. Tribulation is already here. Jesus said it in His own words. He says, the hour is coming. Yes, and has now come that you will be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. There's the word. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So that takes courage, isn't it? But this is the tribulation he says that I'm a brother and a companion with you. So if you feel, you know, if you feel, if you feel the walls caving in, know, know that the only difference that, 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 that's, you know, having John sitting next to you and put his arm around you and say, my brother, my sister, take heart because I went through the same thing is only time. The only, the only, only difference between us and John for us not hearing him telling us these things, but we have to read it is time. Okay? If we take time out of the way and we can go back and sit here and we can hear Jesus' words, then we will be encouraged to know that he was our brother and your companion. And it's not only you going through that thing, there are thousands who went through it. Second Timothy, Paul writes the same thing to, to this young pastor, Timothy 1.8. He says, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of your Lord or of me, a prisoner, but share with me the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. For the power of God. Now, let me just quickly fill in one verse, which I think is going to show to you what this world is coming to. You turn on your TV and you look at the 6 o'clock news, the 7 o'clock news, and you hear about a convicted prisoner, I'll use nice words here, um, has been let loose on the streets again, and he killed somebody. You, uh, so many times I get frustrated myself. I look at the news and I see how young people put drugs into their bodies and kill somebody else. And the first excuse they throw up, oh, but they had drugs in their bodies, as if that now gives them an excuse. And they are put in a mental hospital and six months later they're out on the street again. And then you hear about law-abiding citizens who are now being captured and thrown into jail just because they don't like a lockdown maybe or they're against something. But they're not breaking the law. They're not sinning against God. You know, it's good, honest people. And that's going to happen more. It's going to become more and more. But, but you know, this is not a new thing. It's happened before. I want you to go and do for homework and read Isaiah chapter 5 and you will find that this is what, what Isaiah was talking about in chapter 5. Now listen to these words. He says, Isaiah 5.18, Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of vanity. Iniquity is evil ways with cords of vanity, with pride. 
You know, these people are priding themselves in their evil ways today. Here the prophet already spoke about it so many years ago. And there is something which this verse starts with. I want you to listen to me. You who pull the cords of iniquity with vanity. You who take pride in your sin and you are trying to shove it in your faces. I want you to listen that there is a woe in front of this verse in verse 18. He says, woe. This is God's word to the people of this world, of this planet. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of pride. And sin, if with a cart rope. So it says that they're taking sin and they're pulling that sin wherever they go. And, and you, you know, I don't have to fill in the gaps. It will make you nauseous if I fill in the gaps. You know what I'm talking about. Verse 19, that say, let him make speed and hasten his work that we may see it. And let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near and come that we, we may know it. They are poking their tongues out to God. They say, come on, where's your God? Show us. You've been preaching this for so long. Follow the words in your Bible. They say, where is this God? They pull their evil ways with pride. They pull their sin with a rope. And they come to you and they say, Let him make speak and hasten his work. Where is he, man? That we may see it and all of these things. The only one of his and make it known. And then in verse 20 he says, Now I want you to listen now. He says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in his own sight. There's a judgment coming. And it's coming for you, and it's coming for me. I like this quote that somebody said. He said, Satan offers a strange mixture of just enough good to disguise the evil along his downward path to destruction. You can see it on the screen, and you can write it down and think about those words, but I want to continue on. So, he says, John sits on this island and he says, I'm your brother and companion in tribulation. And uh, now he's telling us why he is on that island. I want you to look at verse 9 now. He says, both your brother and companion did tribulation. And look at the last part of the verse. He says, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I said it in the last two weeks already and I'm going to uh, repeat it. This is why you and I will be persecuted as well. For the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. The word of God is because if you start living according to the word of God, you will go against evil. You will stop sin and you will speak out about it and you will be persecuted. Therefore, you will be sent to an Patmos. And also for the testimony of Jesus Christ, that is him living inside of us. That is him changing us from the inside out. And, and be a testimony. Jesus said, you are the light of the world and the salt of the world. That makes you a testimony. Now, that's the one way of looking at this. And that is the right way of looking at this. Because he's been persecuted for that. But then I want you to think a little bit further as well. Here is a very successful pastor, because he was very successful. And he's been put on this island, and like a Paul, okay, Paul came later, but like a Paul, who was else on that island? There were other prisoners there. And here is a man now coming on the island and similar to Jesus Christ hanging on the cross. There were two thieves on his sides. He was innocent. Yet he was crucified with them. And one of them said, you be quiet on the other side. This man did nothing. We deserve to be here. Fast forward, John on the Isle of Patmos, he didn't deserve to be there. The others on the island, the prisoners, deserved to be there. So, he's there for two reasons. Yes, for persecution. They didn't want this man to spread the word of God on the mainland and the testimony of Jesus Christ anymore. But he will spread that word on that island. Praise the Lord. He was there 
You know, Paul says it later on. He says, my chains is for Christ. What happened with Paul? Fast forward. He was sitting in jail in Rome. And, and there were guards there. And he was sharing the gospel with the guards. Uh, friend, listen to me. This is the only thing you remember today. Take your situation where you are now. People are looking at how you respond in your situation, in your Patmos, and that will change their lives. He was there, and I have no doubt in my every inch of my bone believe that he preached the word of God, and he lived the testimony of Jesus Christ in the island of Patmos. You see, there's so much we can go in before we get to the churches, but I want to hurry on. The second reason that he says that he is your brother and companion is in the kingdom. Look at this. John, both your brother and your companion in tribulation and in the kingdom. What kingdom is he talking about? You see, this is an encouragement that followed despair. He says, look, I'm your brother and, and your companion in tribulation. That's the despair. We get that. We know that. Jesus said we're going to go through that. He follows it straight away up with the next word, kingdom. Now, for the first century Christian, and for you it should be the same, and for me the same, when he said kingdom, no doubt they knew what he was talking about. He was talking about the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You see, if you get born again, you get born into the body of Christ. You're into the kingdom of Christ. You say again to me, Prove it, preacher. Well, John chapter 18, verse 38, they, bring, they brought Jesus in front of Pilate. And I want you to listen to this exchange of, of, of words here between Pilate and Jesus. Pilate is an earthly ruler. Jesus is an heavenly, heavenly king. He's the king of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. 18, uh, John 18, 33. Then Pilate entered the, the Piatorium again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? Oh, just stop there. Stop there. There is a sermon there. I preached about this a few weeks ago. Do you know him? Before you can go into Revelation, you need to know him. Jesus said it himself to Pilate. He says, are you trying to find out or did others tell you? Do you want to know me? If you want to know me, let's go there. But you see, Pilate didn't want to know him really. Pilate answered and said, am I a Jew? Your nation and the chief priest has delivered you to me. What have you done? And Jesus said to him, listen now, my kingdom is not of this world. Hallelujah. John says, I'm your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom. This kingdom he's talking about is not of this world. You can put me on an island of Patmos in this world, but I'm not of this kingdom. I'm of a different, I take courage that I'm of a different kingdom. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, I, you're a king then. Come on, tell me. And Jesus said to him, you say rightly that I'm a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I've come into the world that I should bear the witness of the truth. Everyone who is of truth hears my voice. If you hear his voice today, you're in the kingdom. Jesus said to his disciples again there in John, he says, there's many sheep in this fold. He who hears my voice is my sheep. So take this now on the Isle of Patmos. He says, I'm your brother and companion in tribulation. And that's the, and then he follows it straight away with the kingdom of God. And then he comes to the third one there in verse nine. He says, I'm your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and in the patience of Jesus Christ. Oh, the patience of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your patience. This is the patience for salvation. This is the patience of him to push forward into the next step, what's going to happen uh, in the eschatological, uh, I'm falling over my words, but it, it, it's, it's all of his patience that's happening right now. And I thank God for his patience. 
I know of a lot of people today that needs Christ. They need to be saved and born again. They are on their way to an everlasting eternity without God, and they need the Savior, and I thank God for Jesus' patience. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, Peter writes, he says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. The word they long-suffering is patient. He's patient that all should come to repentance. Three things that he identifies himself with us, and I pray God that that gives you some encouragement today, my friend. Now, I come back then to my part, uh, to my question that I've asked you, and that is the question of what is your Patmos today? How are you feeling about your Patmos today? You know, if, if you can't take comfort in anything else, take comfort in this. Here is a man who went through terrible things at an old age. He didn't deserve. But he comes to you and me and he, he stands in front of you. If I could get John in to stand here in his old frail form, at, uh, form and he looks you in the eyes and he says, My dear brother and sister, take heart. Take courage. I am your brother and your companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and in the patience of Christ, Jesus Christ. I saw the Son of Man appearing to me at my Patmos. Take heart today. May the Lord bless you and I pray and hope that uh, He spoke to you. Now next week we're going to go into the next uh, uh, sequ- uh, a few scripture verses, we will look at um, we look at verse twelve up to verse sixteen, and then we will take the last one in the in the in the next section. We will look at the keys that opens up opens up the whole book of Revelation. We know that the theme, the unifying thought that we found here is is in verse seven or verse eight, where it says, "I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end." He who is, who was, and he is to come. May the Lord bless you and may he keep you and stay safe. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word today. Thank you for the encouragement today, Lord. Thank you, Father, that you're still speaking to us through this book of Revelation. Thank you that you you dealt with my heart, spoke to my heart. I pray for people right over the world to listen and and come into our messages, Father, that you will bless them. Uh, Father, I pray that you will keep them where they are right now at their place. And Father, if there's some people who is sitting in an Isle of Patmos in their lives, I pray, Father, appear to them, Lord. Encourage them. Your Holy Spirit is not bound by boundaries. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.